So let's take out your outlines. We've been looking at 10 values, 10 of them, no surprise, that build strong families. And it's based off the 10 commandments. Now, when Kimberly and I moved to California, we had to change a lot of things. One of them is driving on the other side of the road. And it's very, very easy to whip out and go the wrong way. And there's a couple of times, I've got to be honest, when I was looking at a place and about to start to head off down a road, going onto an on-ramp on a freeway, and it said, do not enter. Stop. Do not enter. I was very thankful for that. Now, if you were me, would you resent that sign or would you appreciate that sign? Of course, you'd appreciate it. And God has given us 10 commandments. Whenever he gives us a negative, don't do that, he has a positive purpose behind that. It's not there to cause you pain, it's there for your protection. So let's look at that first verse again. You shall not commit adultery. Now today, the word adultery, for some even here, may bring memories of pain or shame. But the purpose of today's message is not to resurrect the past. Because if you, if you have confessed your sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you and he will cleanse you from all righteousness, from all sin and clothed with righteousness. So today, the purpose of the message is to focus on the future. Focus on the future. Get it? Good. Friends, God is no killjoy, which is a great relief for some of you. What great joy God gave us when he gave us the gift of sex. He created it. But like all of God's gifts, including water and fire, all of these gifts, sex is designed to be used exclusively within God's guidelines. Within marriage, it can be fulfilling, beautiful, and fantastic. Outside of marriage, outside of the bounds that he created it for, it is, it is destructive. It's destructive emotionally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, definitely relationally. It devastates multiplicities of relationships, not to even mention the horrendous diseases that come along with that. Now, God, for example, remember, has given us the gift of fire, which can warm you. And I'm very thankful for that in the middle of winter. But if you take it out of its place, it can burn you, and it can burn down your house. It has to be contained in the boundaries that God designed for it. So God wants us to use sex as a vehicle to build a marriage and a family, not destroy a marriage and a family. First verse. Husbands and wives must be faithful to each other. God will judge those who are immoral and commit adultery. See, sometimes a lot of Christians get off on beating on things that they don't agree with, like homosexuality. But you haven't, have you forgotten the other parts of that verse? Those who commit adultery, those who are greedy, you go read that, uh, that scripture in First, um, First Corinthians 6.9. There are many other things here. Here he's saying God will judge those who are immoral and commit adultery. Now, how many of you would agree it's much easier to get married than to stay married? Can I see your hands? 
<laughs> oh, very much easier. You see, because we live in a society that is obsessed with sex. It's used as entertainment. These days they use sex to sell everything from cars to bananas, you know. They've got some scantily dressed somebody or other. But now, without guidelines, it is very difficult to stay pure. In fact, it was just reading in the New Zealand Herald, which I don't normally quote because it's normally horrendously biased. But one of the things I'll buy is 29% of Kiwis commit adultery. But the good news is half of them work through it and stay together. 29%. Now, many pastors and teachers and vicars won't talk about this. It's just off the table. But I think it's very important that we look at this. So to save time, we're going to pass over the three parts or four parts here that often cause affairs. I'm going to just skip right over the top of those. And those problems are, you know, what causes affair? Well, first of all, by the way, the Bible says adultery is a trap. It's like, the, you know, the mouse with the cheese. The cheese looks very attractive. It doesn't think about, hang on, this is a trap. So what causes some of those things? Very, very quickly to skate straight across the top. Number one is unmet needs. Unmet needs. That'll be a cause, one of the contributing factors to adultery. Unmet needs. Another one is unsolved conflicts. Unsolved, perpetual conflicts. Now, don't get me wrong. Every marriage has disagreements and disputes. If, if somebody tells you they don't, they're lying. And they've got a problem with humility. Everybody does. I do. You do. Unfulfilled expectations. That's another biggie. Unfulfilled expectations. Because what happens is we go into marriage with way high expectations. And what actually happens is way down here. And the gap, if you measure it between A and B, is the size of your disappointment. That's how that works. And then another one, which we haven't got time to go into this morning, is undeveloped self-worth. So let's go directly today to the six steps on how to affair-proof your marriage. These are the prevention steps. If you don't want this to happen, please pay attention. Number one, first thing right off the bat, is if you want to affair-proof your marriage, you, you have to make a commitment to God's standard. You make a commitment to God's standard. Now, regardless of your past failures and mistakes, you are saying that today, God, on the 29th of April, 2018, that I will accept and commit to your standards on sex. And here's the deal. God's standards never change. You can guarantee that. It's a firm foundation. Because the Bible says sex is marriage for marriage only. Not before marriage. And not outside of marriage. The Bible says this. How can a person keep his way pure? How can that happen? How can you do that? By living, then it answers, by living according to culture. Is that what it says? Not at all. Not at all. It's by a living according to your word, my firm foundation. The word of God is perfect. God says adultery is never an option and under no circumstances, under no justification for it. Probably one of the guys who, and I want to take, I want to drill down on that a little. Think about Joseph. Joseph, if anybody had a reason, an excuse, he was young. He was really smart, very strong and virile, 
And it was an acceptable practice in the culture back then in Egypt. And this woman was pursuing him, actually Potiphar's wife. Now Joseph could have tried to justify himself as, well, you know, my mother died when I was a young lad. And when I was a, young, my father was overindulgent. My brothers hated me. And then they sold me into slavery. I had a terrible family life. I was deprived of love. Man, my own family did that to me. And he could have said, well, I just need somebody to love me. At least one person in my life. But instead, he said, I will not sin against my God. And the Bible says when he was tempted, and she came on a couple of times to him, he ran. He ran. And that was the right thing to do. And maybe you need to do that today. Maybe some of you need to do that. Right now, you may be able to say legitimately and accurately, my spouse is not meeting my needs. So I have unmet needs. I have unresolved conflict that's going on in our relationship. There are unfulfilled expectations that I've had have never been met. But that is no excuse. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 5.15. Be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her only. Only. Notice this is a command and not a suggestion. So if you want to protect your marriage, publicly affirm God's standard to your wife and others by the will and grace of God. To be faithful to her no matter what. So number one, make a flat out commitment to God's standard. Number two, magnify the consequences. Magnify them. Remind yourself of the utter devastation, destruction, despair, disillusionment, and downright stupidity. That is caused by sexual sin. The Bible says that. That's not understating it. Proverbs 6.32. The one who commits adultery is an utter fool. For he destroys his own soul. Nothing destroys emotions like sexual sin. Sexual sin for some reason tends to leave permanent scars that often do not go away. And the sense of loss is utterly enormous, sometimes overwhelming. And as a pastor, I can tell you, through a, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who've been through this situation who would give anything to start again, to turn the clock back. Proverbs 6.26 is clear. Adultery will cost a man all he has. All he has. Remember Esau, he sold his birthright for a pot of stew. Today, many people throw away their marriages for 90 seconds. Good grief. What were you thinking? For a moment, please. If you're in a difficult marriage, or you're in a stage right now where it's struggling, and it's not satisfying, and you're looking around... Listen carefully to me, please, because we've all been in that situation from time to time. The cost of maintaining 
which you have to, and repairing your marriage and making it work, no matter how high the cost, is a pittance compared to the cost of adultery. Because everybody loses, including your children. By God's grace, I've been married to my wife for coming up 36 years. I didn't ask if I could tell that, but sorry, darling. <laughs> 36 years. And by God's grace, she is the only woman I have ever known in the biblical sense. And by God's grace, I intend to be faithful to her for as long as I live. That's my public confession to you. There are three reasons for that. Number one, I love Jesus and he's the bedrock of my life. Nothing else is. No asset, no person, nothing. And he is really important to me. And he said, Ian, if you really, really, really do love me, you will obey my commands. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father. Well, this is the will of God. People say, I don't know what the will of God is. This is the will of God. I don't know how to make it any clearer. Second reason is, I love my wife and I love my kids. It will be unbearable to me to think of the shame and the disgrace I will bring on them. Magnify the consequences. And I fear God. That's a healthy fear. The Bible says God will judge those who are immoral, Hebrews 13, and those who commit adultery. Now one day you'll have to explain to God why you choose to do what he said not to do. Because here's the real deal. Adultery is the ultimate in selfishness. The ultimate. It's saying I will put my needs, I'll put my desires, my thoughts ahead of what firstly God says. That's a very bad mistake. Irrespective, and I'll do it ahead of my, what my wife, my husband, my children's needs are. Think about what it'll do to his or her wife, husband and children as well. The, the connections multiply exponentially. That, my friend, is selfishness. That is not love. So, number one, you make a commitment to God's standards. And number two, you magnify the consequences. Number three, this is important. I was going down to the garden. You maintain your marriage. Maintain it. I was mowing the lawns the other day, and one of my kids had built the garden down the back in a mad fetish. Oh, Dad, I'll look after this. And all this. Well, I, I mowed past the other day. The grass is yay high in his garden, which once tended such things as tomatoes and things like that. And, you know, I thought, man, that same garden could produce beautiful fruit if it was maintained. But he's been busy doing other stuff. He's actually renovating a house. So he ain't got time to come around to my place and fix his garden up that he put in. And let me tell you, he put a lot of work into that. And then he just dropped it. And he stopped maintaining it. Now it's a schmuzzle. I have to get combine harvester in there to get through the weeds. Anyway, here's the point. Ladies, young ladies, even if you're not married, remember this. A growing relationship will reduce the pull of adultery. Now a relationship is either going south or it's growing. It's not standing still. Don't fool yourself. It's either growing because it's being maintained. Now there's a man called Willard Harley. About 17 years ago he wrote this book. It's called His Needs, Her Needs. Now I could stop right there because what I'd like to really do, I'm itching to do this but I ain't got time. 
I'd like you, Bonnie and Graham and whoever the couples are, and this is something important for you, you girls when you get married, before. Be, seriously, try and be clear what the needs are. What are his needs? If I was to pop your question, just between you and me, give me the top three. Forget five, just give me three. I want to her top three. Because here's the ta- thing. I do competitive shooting, and I'll tell you what, I can't hit the target that I can't see. I actually have to put my glasses on to see. If I can see the target, ah, there it is, I can, I can get there a whole bunch better. You need to know the target. Now, Willard, in this book, you can pick this up. He interviewed thousands of couples. Now, these may not be yours. I get that. That's not the point. But unless you know what they are, I like these ones better because I can at least see something. I can hit these. You may negotiate on these. The top five needs of men and women. The starting point, write these down or get the book. And if these are not yours, change them and adapt them. But the point is, figure it out. The top five needs of most men are, guess what? Sexual fulfillment. Probably not a surprise to anyone who hasn't been married more than 10 minutes. <laughs> Second, I mean, you don't have to write these. Just get yours. This is based on the book I'm summarizing that. Recreational companionship. By the way, it's not a good thing for people to be separated for long periods of time. An attractive spouse, domestic support, and admiration. Now, I'm going to ask you a question about these in a minute, so be careful. There's a trick coming here. Now, the top five needs of most women, not all, most, Dr. Harley observed are these. Number one, affection. This may not be your wife, but this is a conversation starter. Number two, conversation. And there somehow seems to be a really deep need and built in women to have conversation. Whereas two guys can drive all the way to Power Newby, say 22 words, and they're both happy. Three, honesty and openness. They want that. Transparency, guys. It is insane to me that people sometimes live their marriages and the, husband, the wife has no clue what the husband is up to, what he's doing, or whatever. That's insanity. And by the way, that includes financial transparency. She needs to know everything. And he needs to know everything. Anyway, number four, financial support. That you're a good provider. The Bible says if you don't provide for your, your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Now, I don't know how that is. Take it seriously. Don't be lazy. Support. You're physically stronger than her. Physically, notice I said ladies, physically. You should be the last one virtually in bed. You've got more strength, more stamina. Family commitment. That's what she wants from you. You are committed to her family, your family. The best thing a man can do for his children, someone famously said, is love their mother. Love their mother. Now, here's a question. Pop quiz. Do you see any similarity between those needs, those lists? There is none. No wonder we have trouble adjusting to marriage. So there's a solution to this. Get serious. If you don't do anything about this, do one thing this week. Get serious. 
to the full-time business of learning what it is that your spouse needs. And that may change over time. So if you took a snapshot five years ago, that may have changed, even if we can remember what that was five years ago. And it will go a long way in protecting your marriages. Now, one of the biggest problems for many marriages is the physical relationship. But I just want to quickly go over this. Very quickly, a couple of verses. A man should fulfill his duty as a husband, and a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife, and each should satisfy the other's needs. Another verse, 1 Corinthians 7. Do not cheat each other from normal sexual intercourse. That's in the Bible. Or you will expose yourself to the obvious temptation of Satan. So don't use it as a weapon. The Bible says sex is a spiritual responsibility both ways. Lovingly, affectionately, and caringly. And to deny each other, the Bible says right there in 1 Corinthians 7, is to, tempt you, is to ask for trouble. So to lighten this up, I thought I'd find a scientific survey that I read this week. It was done, it was discovered, and it was all about what days men like to make love. All right? And they discovered that they all like days that begin with T. Tuesday, Thursday, today, tomorrow, Saturday, and Tunday. <laughs> now we can laugh about that, but we all know it's true. Now, when you got married and stood before a pastor or a celebrant, you were committing to an exclusive relationship. You were saying, from now on, I'm going to look to you for my needs. Especially the top five. No one else. No one else. Those top five. It helps if you know what those top five are. But normally what happens, like my son Nathan, you get too busy. And they drop out of sight. That vegetable garden is nowhere near on his horizon. <laughs> and that's what happens to us. We're keen at the beginning, and then we drop it off. No maintenance. And it's not unusual for many men and women to feel getting a raw deal. They're getting a raw deal as time goes by after they've been married for a while. Their needs are so different. And we automatically go into autopilot. So how do you build a friendship with your spouse? There are three ways. Time, time, and time. What Kimberly and I did when we were younger, and even when we had small kids, we would take a weekend away without the kids to invest into our marriage, to maintain our marriage. And as we got a little older, then we'd take a week away, just us two. And we'd do this regularly. And then we did, we've done other things too. You know, we've played tennis and we've done all sorts of different things. But you need to invest time in that relationship. Remember Nathan's garden. D, extremely important. You and I need to manage our minds. I'm going to explain very briefly how affairs develop so that you cannot say you are unaware. And this doesn't matter whether you're married, you have been married, you can use these to help other people if it's not going to help you. Take note. People don't just fall into immorality. The first thing that happens is they start by accepting thin, sinful thoughts in their mind. That's what happens. That's the very first step. The battleground is in your mind. The Bible says this in James 1. Temptation 
is the pull of a person's own evil thoughts and wishes. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions and afterward to death, separation from God. Yet many Christians do not get serious about their minds. See, because you become what you think about. Now, TV and internet is getting worse. And it's one of the biggest dispensers of trash in our lives. Don't ever be deceived into thinking that you can allow the pollution of the world to enter your home and not contaminate your family. I want to read you something that I read this week by a guy called Jeremy Archer. He spoke about allowing some worldly guests to come into his home. Some worldly guests to come into his home. And he says, whilst their behavior was questionable, they entertained his family. And he justified the relationship by saying, well, Jesus was accused of being friends of sinners. So that's okay. Sometimes the conversations revolved around drinking and violence and drugs, the occult, sometimes even sex, theft, lying, and other vices. But he said that they justified it because it was discussed in an interesting manner. The guests were growing and they were having a growing influence on his family, he says. And as time went by, their behavior deteriorated and got worse. Then people began partying, making obscene gestures, and even then starting having sex right in front of his family. Now, as I read that, I thought, how could he let this happen in front of his family? How could he be looking at them? And then I jumped to the end and read the final words of the article, and he concluded, together we turn the television off. Many professing Christians allow their families and their minds to be polluted in the name of entertainment. And some Christians are waking up to this now and realizing how their children are being affected. And some are actually getting rid of the TV altogether. Others are learning the art of self-control and then controlling the remote control. Whatever you do, be in control and watch your kids with devices that are able to get onto the internet. The Bible says how we're to deal with this. It says, turn your back on lustful desires and give positive attention. So forget that, Tut. Give positive attention to goodness, integrity, and love. Does that discount the box? Most of the time, yes. He also says in Romans 16, 19, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent. Don't taint yourself with the evil. And it's sad that we're experts in evil these days, but ignorant of righteousness. So the Bible encourages us, get serious about your mind. Because thoughts can be deadly. This is how it works. Very simple progression. What you think affects the way you feel, which affects the way you so if you want to change the way you're acting and feeling, you can start with your thoughts. Be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. So you have to decide to limit some of the movies and TVs 
programs that you watch, some of the places you go. And if you're wise, you'll stop the process right there. So, okay, if I'm not supposed to think about that, what am I, am I supposed to think about that? Well, try this as a filter of what to concentrate and focus your mind on. Philippians 4 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, there is anything praiseworthy, think about these things. That is a great filter. This is a biblical filter to pass the stuff you see, watch, hear, and look at through this. So if you don't get a grip though on your mind, it will lead to step number two. And step number two is an emotional but non-physical involvement. In other words, if you're looking to another person other than your spouse to meet those deep emotional needs of sympathy, comfort, support, and understanding, if that's you, you are in an emotional affair. Now, the danger for Christians is to just camp there. Stay there. And don't deal with reality. Unbelievers just breeze past that and go straight to the next step, which is physical involvement. Once you cross that line, the pull of sin is horrendous. And it has devastating consequences in many people's lives. Then the fourth step is rationalizing the affair. You know what rationalizing means, don't you? Rational lies. We're experts in deceiving ourselves. The Bible says, and this is flat in the face of the ridiculous notion that you just follow your heart. That's a ridiculous notion because of this verse next. The heart is the most deceitful thing there is. And it's desperately wicked. No one can really know how bad it is. Be very, very careful on the authority of God's word of following your heart. That's really ridiculous. We can be a pro at deceiving ourselves. The common excuses I've heard, well, if only my husband or my wife met my needs, I wouldn't be doing this. Or, we love each other. No, you don't. You lust each other. Yes. Nope. Love never fractures another family. Next. Another way is to maintain proper relationships. Please, young people, hear this carefully. Studies reveal, this is the science behind this, that affairs commonly occur between close personal friends, co-workers, or extended family members. Now, since we have to deal with people day in, day out, how can we maintain proper relationships Quickly, five things. Number one, do not listen to a member of the opposite sex tell you about his or her marriage problems. That's a recipe for disaster. Because, see, my husband doesn't do that, but boy, you are listening, and you're empathetic, and you are taking the time to listen. Number two, women, don't go fishing for compliments or looking for them. Don't look to others to meet your deep emotional needs as yet unmet by your spouse. Give them to God because he's your firm foundation. Men, watch what you say to women in terms of compliments. 
This is a big one. Beware of chemistry is a third thought. There's a spark. You know what it's like. You're in a gathering. You're standing around jabbering away in a group. And all of a sudden, without meaning, you notice there's a spark that goes between you and somebody else. Pull back. Pull back immediately. Don't engage it. Number four. Very practical. Avoid prolonged stares. Don't catch somebody's eye and hold it. If you're married, that's off the table. If you're dating, that's a different deal. <laughs> you're allowed to do that. Relax. But if you're married, off the table. No more best friends as boyfriends if you're a woman after you got married, and vice versa. Avoid a lingering touch. There are socially acceptable limits. Be, be aware of those. There's a great verse here, and I'd like us to read it together in Ephesians 5, verse 3. Can we read that together, please? Let's read it. But among you, there must not even be a... Not even a hint. One of the biggest ministries in the world has been brought to its knees because of a hint of sexual immorality. It's disastrous. And he knew better. Wasn't an affair, but the hints brought the whole thing down. It takes more than good intentions to remain pure. That's what I'm saying. You need a plan. So therefore, the next point is you minimize the opportunity. If you don't want to get stung, keep away from the beehive. Don't place yourself in situations that will cause you to be tempted. And this is a very pertinent verse. It's called humility. So be careful if you're thinking, oh, I would never behave like that. Let this be a warning to you, the scripture says, for you too may fall into sin. You need to be, know the early warning signs. You may be thinking, well, I've been married 25 years and that will never happen to me. Friends, can I give you a reality check? The fact is, given the wrong situation, any of us are virtually capable of doing anything. Just remember that. Given the wrong situation. Here's one for you men and women to be very careful of through personal experience because I used to travel quite a lot. Business travel is a trap. You're in a different city, often a different country, nobody knows you, what do you do? You're exhausted, you come home, you don't want to sit and have a dinner by yourself. Be careful. Lonely motel room. What I used to do is I used to take a photograph of my wife and my little children sitting there looking at me. <laughs> It was a great reminder. And I'd call home every night. Don't go out to dinner with the opposite sex. Off the table. Another action you can take is this. Choose your friends carefully. Because bad company corrupts good character. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says. Now what does that really look like? Here's a good thing. Try and hang out with friends who have good marriages. The Bible says here, in Malachi 2.15, guard yourself in your spirit. This is your job. Guard yourself. Be careful. Be armed. Be careful. Do not break faith with your wife. Another move is let's go over this way now. Let's go to the business office. Business offices are ripe for disasters because everybody looks good, dresses up well, smells good, 
and they're on their best behavior. It is artificial. You don't see that woman when she's got to curl us up and she's on the loo with diarrhea. <laughs> and they give you a sensible test on reality. The enemy always likes to make it look really good then and say, ah, but afterwards, let me tell you, it turns to dust in your mouth. That was the six steps on how to affair-proof your marriage. I want to close with the pathway on back to purity. If you have been unfaithful to your spouse, there is forgiveness in God and there is still hope. Adultery does not have to kill marriages. Friends, you though may have to share these steps that I'm going to give you now with a friend who's been caught or bitten. Three steps. Number one, always starts with this. Always starts with this. Acknowledge the sin. Acknowledge the sin. In Psalm 51, if you go read it, I haven't got time now, it's David's prayer when he had just committed adultery. That is a great verse to start with. Go read that. And call it what it is. It is not an affair. It's, that's why the world wants to whitewash it. It's called adultery. It's sin. Premarital sex, that, which is included here, is unacceptable to God, always has been, and always will be. Why? Because God's never truth never changes. God's truth never changes. Living together without being married, always has been unacceptable to God, always will be unacceptable to God. Pornography. Always has been unacceptable to God. Always will be unacceptable to God. Homosexuality. Always has been unacceptable to God. Always will be unacceptable to God. Now if you're guilty in any of these issues, let me say, New Hope is a church for you. We, here today, are a community of forgiven sinners. We've all sinned in many ways. But we're saved by grace. There's no perfect people in this church. And this is not a place for self-righteous people. But this is a place to come and find forgiveness through Jesus. And healing and a new life to break the power of temptation. Which can only come with the help of a spirit. You cannot break it on your own. You need a new autopilot inside. And you can't do it without God's help. This is a place to do it. Because we're all working on our lives together. So we confess... As sin to God, we receive forgiveness from God, and then you can forgive yourself. One of my favorite verses that I learned very early on is from 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow! Number two, end the relationship immediately. Do it now. The Bible says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Number three, avoid all contact with the person from now on. Cut it off. It's over. Do whatever it takes. Friends, let me be real blunt. You cannot be friends after you've been involved. Complete break. If it means changing jobs. I was just talking to a young lady this week who's just changed jobs because of the situation. Somebody in her office, she didn't feel happy that they were pursuing her. Change the job. End it. Cold turkey. It's better to do that than lose your soul and your family. So in summary, let's go back to the beginning. God thought up sex. In marriage, it's great and wonderful and it builds families. Used improperly, it creates guilt and grief and depression and hurt and confusion. 
and discouragement and pain, it damages families. The exact opposite of the way God designed it. It creates misery. Not to mention, again, those communicable diseases. And God says, I've established those rules for your benefit. And if you don't play by the rules, you and many, many, many other people are going to get hurt. God's way is the best way. And you can get back on track. How do you do that? You open your life up to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus Christ, come and be the manager of my life. The decisions I make from now on will always be submitted to you and you get the right to call the shots. You ask for forgiveness for past mistakes and sins and there you will receive forgiveness because of 1 John 1, 9. And then you can forgive yourself. Then you make a commitment to be morally pure for the rest of your life. And that means you're going to have sex only with the person that you're married to. Maybe you've realized as I've just walked through some of these scriptures that some of those thoughts in your life weren't as harmless after all as you thought. And maybe you need to say, God, would you help me change my thinking? I was going to say it sounds a bit hollow. <laughs> Solid. God, I need your help to control my mind, to control your counsel, to resensitize my conscience, especially around what comes into my mind. Or maybe today you've been sensing an emotional attachment. And even though you, there was no sex involved, you thought it's okay. I hope today you've realized, and God has revealed to you, no, it's not. Nip it in the bud. Maybe you've had the heartbreak of an adultery in your marriage. Can I just say to you, there is hope, but it's only in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've seen today in your word, which is perfect, that you created sex drive to build families, not to destroy them. Today, would you help those who carry guilt and shame and confusion in this area? Find forgiveness in you as they ask for it. Would you cleanse them and heal them and give them a brand new power from you to make the right choices? May we live from this moment forward, Lord, with a new resolve to live purely before you. And as we close, would you now make these commitments in your mind and your heart to Jesus would you say, will you say right now, dear God, I want to do what's right from now on. Would you say that in your mind? It may mean breaking off a relationship. It may mean changing jobs. Would you say, I want to do what's right. And I want to live clean and pure before you. Please forgive me for the past. Would you help me to get on with building a new future with you? I want you to be first in my life. I realize today, again, that you have given me these commandments for our protection and happiness. So today, I commit myself and recommit myself to you and your standards. In Jesus' powerful name.